All right, reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then, they, for then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscious of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but the body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not, thou hast no, had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I am come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I am come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy, whereof the Holy Ghost also in a witness to us, is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. You may be seated. Bye-bye. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Psalm 62, 5 through 7. Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. Prudential Financial Insurance Company, on its logo, it has a picture of the rock of Gibraltar. I think I pronounced that right. This rock is on the southwestern part of Europe in Spain, and it's near the entrance of the Mediterranean Sea. This logo, by Prudential's name, is trying to tell you that if you invest with them, that your investment is something that is solid, dependable, and immovable. Many times in Scripture, Jesus is referred to as a rock or as a stone. He is one who is solid, dependable, and immovable. If you remember the last time that I preached here, I preached about the place where Jesus is referred to as a rock. <clears throat> We turn to Exodus 17, where, I, where Moses struck the rock 
so that the water could come out, so that the Israelites had water to drink. This morning, I want to preach, speak about another time that the Israelites needed water to drink. And Moses struck the rock not just one time, but twice. The title of the sermon this morning is Struck Twice. Turn with me to Numbers 20. We can find this story here in Numbers 20. I'm going to be reading the first 13 verses here in Numbers 20. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt, to bring us, into, to bring us in unto this evil place? It is no place of seed, or of figs, or of vines, or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall bring, give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their peace drink. And Moses took the rod before the from before the Lord, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we, fetch must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rock he smoked, and with his rod he smoked the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because he believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given you. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. As we look at this story, there are some questions that I would like to answer. You know, first one, why was Moses not able to enter the promised land? What was it about striking the rock twice that was so bad? And why were the children of Israel, the Israelites, allowed into the promised land after they had complained and rebelled to Moses and to God? I'm going to look at the background of the story first before we dive into um, the story so in this chapter, we see that Miriam and also Aaron dies. Um, Miriam died in the beginning of the chapter, in first verse, and Aaron towards the end of the chapter. And as we know, these were two siblings of Moses. 
Aaron was Moses' spokesperson, and he was considered as the high priest for the children of Aaron, for the children of Israel. Miriam was considered as a prophetess, and we see that in Exodus 15. She was one who prophesied. If you think about it, these two deaths would have a big impact on Moses. And although the story that we are um, looking at now, um, only Miriam had died at that time. The Israelites in their journey to the promised land, they are now at the land at Kadesh. These people, they were there already before in their journey. This is the place where Moses set out the 12 spies back in Numbers 13. And if you remember, 10 of those spies came back with a bad report about going up against the Canaanites. And their report stirred up all the people that they rebelled against Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua, who they said they were well able to go up against the Canaanites with God on their side. Because of their rebellion, a couple chapters before, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until all those who were older than 20 at the time of their rebellion had died off. So here in Numbers 20, we see that it's the next generation that is there. It's the children of those who rebelled that are there. The 40 years of wanderings in the wilderness is over, and it covers just five chapters here. Kadesh is near the entrance to the promised land, the land that God had promised to them and also to their fathers. They are ready now to enter into this promised land. But we see that they have a problem. They have a complaint. Their complaint was they had lack of water. They were at a place that had no water for them nor for their cattle. And I want to remind you how many people approximately were in this group. So when they came out of Israel or out of Egypt, they had 600 fighting men. These are the fighting men. Plus, these men probably had wives and also children. Not only did they have wives or children that were with them, possibly they had parents as well that went with them. And also, this was 40 years later, so there was possibly more people added to this number. So they could be well over 2 million people, if not more. Not only the people needed water to drink, they had cattle that needed water, and possibly they had a couple thousands of cattle. They all needed water to drink. And if you think about it, one person in the desert, in the wilderness, could probably drink a thousand or could probably drink one gallon of water in one day. They would probably need about three million gallons of water for the Israelites and also for the cattle. Three million gallons of water. And this amount of water that you would need for this amount of people is probably about the size of a fairly large lake. 
So they needed a lot of water to take care of these people and the animals. This wasn't the only time, as you know, that they complained about a lack of water. And there was a time at the Merah in Exodus 15 and the time at Rephidim in Exodus 17, and that's where I preached that last time. And now here at Kadesh. They brought their complaint to Moses and Aaron about the lack of water. It says that they chode with Moses. And this word means to quarrel. They were quarreling with Moses. And this often happens when, with men when they are overcome with discouragement and despair. They start complaining. They're in a low time. And their complaint, if we see, is very similar as the complaint at Rephidim where there was no water. And like I said, while their complaint was the same, they were a total different group of people complaining now as was the time before. It was their parents that complained then. Now it is their children. And Moses and Aaron had nothing to do with their lack of water. They were only leading the people where God led them. These people wanted to die with the others in the wilderness instead of being at the place where they were at. Another complaint that they had, they would have rather stayed in Egypt where they, where they were in bondage, oppression, and where they would have died in captivity instead of enduring the hardship that they were facing while they were free. They complained about not having seed, figs, grapes, or pomegranates. You know, God provided for these people every day for the past 40-some years with manna and quill to eat. And God provided them with water as well. God was always there to provide for their needs. But yet they weren't satisfied and content with what God gave them. Their needs and their wants were getting mixed up. What they thought was a need was considered as a want to fulfill their fleshly desires. And just think about it. Because of the rebellion in Kadesh, when the ten spies brought back a bad report, and they all rebelled against Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua, because of their rebellion, they were still in the wilderness 40 years later. If they would have listened to Joshua and Caleb, they could possibly be, be prospering well in the land of Canaan at this time. How many times do we do that? We criticize and complain about the situation that we are in. And there's different ways that we may tend to do that at home or at work. We're at school. Many times, the person that we are complaining to, that person is controlled by other circumstances that make it difficult to meet our expectation. If that person isn't able to control the circumstances, does that mean we are complaining against God, who is in, who is in control of our circumstances? 
And that was with the case of the children of Israel here. Let's look at God's commands to Moses. <clears throat> so we see that Moses and Aaron, they fall on their faces at the door of the tabernacle. They went to the place where God was and brought their knees before him to ask him what they must do. This isn't the only time where Moses fell on his face before God. Moses did it five other times. It seems that when he did that, he was pleading to God for much wisdom with the situation that he was dealing with, and also to intercede for the Israelites so that God wouldn't destroy them. And those five times that Moses fell on his face. Moses, Moses and Aaron many times interceded for the children of Israel. But we can see that God's glory appeared unto them in verse 6. Doesn't that speak about the grace of God on their lives? God heard their cry and his glory appeared unto them. God hears our cry when we cry out to him. When we cry out to God in prayer, his presence is with us as well. Let's look at God's instructions to Moses. He says to take his rod and gather the people and Aaron together with him. And then he tells him to speak to the rock. What was so important about Moses' rod? Why did God want Moses to take it with him? In Exodus 17, God tells him to take the rod that he struck the Nile River with. And with that rod, it brought judgment to the Egyptians in different ways. Another purpose of Moses' rod is that it spoke of God's authority. It was with his rod that he would show the Israelites and to Pharaoh that God appeared unto him and ordained him to lead the people out of Egypt. His rod went from being a shepherd's staff to being called the rod of God. Here in Numbers, Moses was instructed to take all the people with him compared to to just the elders, like it says in Exodus 17. I believe God wanted witnesses there to see his awesome power, to see what God has done. Could it also be to show them the goodness of the Lord and that it would cause them to be ashamed because of their unbelief in God's provision to them and of their rebellion? In other words, when God pours out his mercy and grace on them, when he offers them, them atonement, then they will be ashamed of the times that they went against God's plan that was be way better for them. Ezekiel 16 talks about this, about when God um, pours out his mercy and grace on them and they come to shame. The tribe of Judah was becoming numb to the sin, especially sexual sins. They had no shame because of their blindness. I'm going to read verses 58 to 61 in Ezekiel 16. Thou hast borne thy lewdness and thine abominations. 
saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, I will even deal with thee as thou hast done, which has despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Nevertheless, I will rem- remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. Then thou shalt be remembered. Then thou shalt remember thy ways and be ashamed. This shame that they feel is not the final judgment that they get from God, but is a shame that they get from dishonoring God or dishonoring one who's, who is superior. And possibly that's why God wanted the people there to see the goodness of God and to recognize their error in recognizing who God is. So why was Moses supposed to speak to the rock? The last time that water came out of the rock, out of the rock, he struck the rock, and it brought water enough for all the people and their animals. If we look in 1 Corinthians 10, we can learn more about the rock. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes different blessings that the Israelites experienced on their journey. And one of those blessings came from the rock that they all drank from. Then it says that this rock was Christ. In my studies since the last time that I preached, I learned about something that was a blessing to me on this rock, especially in the time of Exodus 17. God tells Moses in Exodus 17, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock. And the phrase, I will stand before thee, is a phrase of a servant, ready to do what his master tells him to do, ready to serve others for their benefit. And we see that different times in the Bible when there are servants um, before their masters. They stand before their master, ready to do, ready to serve for their benefit. And that is exactly what Christ did at his first coming. Matthew 20, 28, it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. He was a servant at his first coming. In Exodus 17, we see that Moses struck the rock only once. Christ, who is the spiritual rock, was struck only once. We can see that in Isaiah 53, that Christ was smitten by God. When Jesus was smitten by God, what happened? In John 4:14 it says, "But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life." The results of Jesus' smitten is you will never thirst again because of the well of water springing up into everlasting life. Also, John 7, 37-38, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, because he was struck, When we believe in the provision that God has provided for us, we will never thirst again. Christ died once for our sins in order that we could have the provisions that he offers. Those in the Old Testament sacrificed thousands of animals for the sake 
of their sins that they had committed. But Jesus' covenant is much better than the old covenant. The old covenant needed offering for sin. While in the new covenant, or Jesus' covenant, Jesus was a perfect sacrifice that was enough for the sins of the whole world. Turn with me back to Hebrews 10, where Glenn read. I'm going to point out a couple of words there. <clears throat> I'm going to actually be starting in verse, in chapter 9. There's a couple words, or one verse there. 9.26, it says, But now once, in the end of the world, he hath, 9.26, But now once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And jumping down into chapter 10, in verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And 10, or verse 12, it says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are, sacrificed, them that are sanctified. To answer the question of why Moses was to speak to the rock instead of striking the rock, it's because the rock which represented Jesus was already struck. He couldn't be struck twice. So what is it about speaking to the rock? What do you think would have happened if Moses would have spoken to the rock instead of striking it? What it says to tell us that he will bring water to all the people. I think speaking to the rock gives a picture of a relationship with Jesus. Jesus desires a relationship with us. And that involves speaking to the rock. Turn with me to Matthew 7, read verse 7 to 11. <clears throat> Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it sh shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts give good things to them that ask him. In Luke's version, he adds um, something else to that. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And also John 14, 13, 14, 13 and 14, it says, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In Matthew, the words asketh, seeketh, and knocketh is all in a present tense form. Not only is it in a present tense form, but is also a continuation of asking, seeking, and knocking. God wants us to ask. 
He wants the speaking relationship with us. With each command, there is a response from God given. The person who asks, receiveth. And the one who seeks, findeth. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. When we speak to Jesus, he is interceding for us on our behalf. Hebrews 7, 25, it says, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. And also Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself make an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And this next verse is talking about Jesus. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In this verse, we see that the Spirit prays for us when we don't know what to pray. When we are in a difficult situation, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the rock. The one who searches the heart, like I said, is Jesus. He knows the Spirit. Therefore, he can intercede for us. Because of the relationship between us trying to pray, the Spirit knowing what we should pray, and Jesus who knows the Spirit and intercedes for us, we can know that all things work together for, them, for good to them that love God. And that verse is the following verse out of Romans 8, 26 and 27. So let's all speak to the rock so that we can prosper in whatever way that God sees fit. Let's look at Moses' response here in Numbers 20. Moses was obedient to God on only part of what God had told him. He took the rod like God had told him to, and he gathered the people before the rock. I'm going to read his statement that he made to the people in the latter part of verse 10. Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? I think there's a couple things wrong with his statement here. In Psalms 106, 32, 33, it says, They angered him also at the waters of strife, which is um, the waters of Meribah, so that it went ill with Moses for their sake, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. In other words, he spoke without stopping to think. Or another translation, he spoke recklessly with his lips. It is obvious that Moses was worked up with the way that the people were responding to him. And his statement is, is something that God didn't command him to say. God had instructed him to speak to the rock, not to the people gathered there. As a leader of the group, he spoke harshly. And this is something that can be easy to do when you're a leader, whether you know, it's at home, at school, at church, or at work. How do you respond to people that you're a leader of when things don't go just right, 
when there seems to be rebellion and you're tired. Or maybe you're going through an emotional experience that that triggers you to react in a wrong way. Like it was in the case of Moses with the death of his sister. He was probably experiencing a low time in his life. Let's remember to speak to the rock. Notice what Moses does next. He strikes the rock twice. When Moses does this, what is he implying? First, he's denying the authority of God. God told him what to do through his word. And Moses disobeyed God and did what he wanted to do. How many times do people do that today? How many times do we do that? Or how many times do I do that? Where we deny the authority of God. We deny the authority of his word. Moses was adding to the word of God. He was saying that he was the one in authority. It was Moses' words. His his thoughts were the thoughts that counted. And not anyone else. Not even God's words. He was also implying that he was the one who was God. That there was no other God before him, before Moses. What a scary thought when we add to scriptures. Or when we add to the word of God in the case of Moses. When people add words to scripture, when they change what the Bible says, they are not under the authority of God. But they are the ones who are telling the world and those around them that they are the ones in authority. That there is no other God before them. That they are God. And we know the verses in Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of, this, of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And I think when John wrote these verses here in Revelation, he was referring to the book of Revelation. But in the book of Revelation, the gospel message is clearly spelled out. And I think that is where people can mix messed up when they add scripture they change the gospel message when we change the gospel message to something other than what God has has said there will be judgment on that person and God will make it right Luke 11 28 it says blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it you're, not, you're blessed not only if you hear the word of God, but also keep it. Matthew 24, 35, it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God's word will never pass away. God's word will always stand. It won't be our words that we add to Scripture or the words of a famous person, but it's God's words that will always stand. Stand. We were asking the question of what 
when Moses strikes the rock twice, what was he implying? He is denying God's provision. Notice the we in his statement. He was saying that it was Aaron and himself that was bringing the water to the people. Moses was turning the focus away from God and that he is the one who provides. And he places the focus on Aaron and himself. Jesus said that he is the living water. He is the one who provides water where you and I and all who drink will never thirst again. Moses was also implying that he is the one who is trying to make it right for the people instead of Christ. In other words, he is his own prophet. He is his own priest. The mediator between God and the Israelites is now Moses instead of it being Christ the rock. We see also that Moses did not sanctify God in the eyes of the Israelites. What does that mean? How was Moses supposed to sanctify God? When we think about sanctifying, we think of cleansing or setting apart. What does that all mean? There are some other verses in the Bible where it talks about sanctifying God. Isaiah 29, 23 says, But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands, in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. And also 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks, asks you a reason of the hope that is with you. That is in you with meekness and fear. These two verses have the idea that we need to give God his sacred purpose. We are to give God his rightful place. Hold him in reverence. Back in Numbers 20, Moses wasn't doing that. Moses didn't set God apart. He didn't make him holy. By his actions, he didn't portray God to be who he truly was in the situation. He didn't reverence him. He didn't set him apart from other gods and that he is the only God, the one, the only true God. So what were the results of Moses' actions? What happened after Moses struck the rock? Did God strike them all dead after their complaining and also after Moses' attitude? No, it says that the water came out abundantly. Not a trickle nor a small stream, but the waters came out abundantly. In spite of their complaining and Moses' failure, the water came out abundantly. I can picture in my mind that there was a lot of force with the water coming out of the rock abundantly. This water was enough for all the people there and also their animals that they had with them. Did anyone deserve this water? No, no one deserved any water. But like I said, but God gave it to them abundantly. There are many times that you and I 
we don't deserve the blessings that God gives us. But yet he too gives it to us abundantly. Even in salvation, we don't deserve it. There's nothing we've done to deserve it. But yet he gives it to us abundantly. What about Moses and Aaron? God told them that they were not to leave the people into the land of Canaan. And what was the reason that God gives them that they did not enter into the land? We can see that in verse 12. It wasn't because necessarily the things that they did that kept them out. It was because they didn't believe God. They didn't believe in God. That was why they were kept out of the land of Canaan. They failed to recognize who God was. That he was a God of grace. That he was a God who provides. That he was a God who intercedes for the sake of his people. They failed to believe that. They failed to recognize that. And there will be more people who, along with the children of Israel and with Moses and um, Aaron, who will not enter into the promised land or heaven because of, the, of their unbelief. Revelation 21.8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So Moses, we, we see that he's a great leader. And he's messed up one time. Does that mean he won't make it to heaven? We can see later in the Bible that there are, that yes, he, I, I think he will make it to heaven. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses is there with Jesus and Elijah. And that time on the Mount of Transfiguration is a preview of the coming kingdom that Christ will set up here on this earth after he comes to the earth. Moses is also listed in the faith chapter, a chapter of those who believe. And if you think about it, it was Moses who wrote the book of Numbers, wrote this story. He wrote it for all to see. Even though he was a great leader, he had some failures. And I think when a person whose sins have been forgiven, truly forgiven, he can freely talk about his failures. I believe Moses trusted in God to forgive him of his sins. And since God forgave him, Moses can end his life in peace. My challenge for you and for me is to look at my own life to see whether we have struck the rock more than once. Is this sacrifice on the cross enough for me? Or do I need to help God out by doing things on my own strength to bring about salvation in my life? Let us remember as we go through this life that it is God and Him alone that can provide for our needs, whether they are physical, but most of all spiritual. We can do nothing on our own strength to provide the salvation that is needed in our lives. We can't even help God out in providing the needs that we so desperately need.
Do you, do I, do we sanctify, have we sanctified the Lord? Is he set apart from any other God? Do we worship him and him alone? Or do we depend on the God of ourselves? I trust as we go out this week that we can pro proclaim God for who he truly is. Let's kneel to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings, your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of salvation, what you've done for us on the cross, and that your sacrifice was enough for each one of us, and that there was no, no more sacrifice that needed to be made. Thank you, Lord, for the free gift of salvation and that we can receive it. I pray, God, that you just help each one of us um, to receive that gift freely. And I pray, God, that we would... Um, not change the gospel message, but Lord, that we would um, allow it to be um, true, and not only in our lives, but also as we proclaim it to the world around us. I pray that you just give us the strength that we need. I pray that you would just guide and direct us today. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.